folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk, please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download the free app and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast. The Jim Parisi Show and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And as I continue to traverse the musical landscape of our country... It has been invigorating to connect with my peer group over the last year or so. Cats that are stretching the lineage of music, increasing the vocabulary of music on the bandstand, not in academia. And I got a chance today to talk to uh, somewhat of a renaissance man, uh, a guy who has been uh, creating uh, for the last several decades uh, and he's been doing it in a mercurial fashion in many different amalgamations. And uh, what an honor. Greg Lo- Greg Loyacano, welcome to the Jake Feinberg yeah. Show. Thank you, Jake. Good to hear you, brother. Nice to hear you. Hey, um, I mean, I say renaissance, man, because November 17th, you got a gig at the Chico Women's Club. How are you getting so lucky to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fine place up in uh, in Chico. It's a nice uh, venue that, um, man, I think maybe the Mother Hips played there a long, long time ago. You know, Tim Bloom's done some shows there, and a variety of other friends have done shows there. I haven't brought my solo band there yet, but uh, KZFR is public radio up there, um, an awesome station. Um, they uh, do fundraisers there, and they do uh, a number of different events up there and, and this one will be part of the kzfr umbrella is it like but it's like uh when they say it's a women's club what i mean is it all women i mean that sounds great to me you know i don't i don't know the history of it <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that at, at one point and maybe it still is i can uh i can find out all that information for you but uh um, no, no it's, yes, a, it's okay uh, no no on, i mean i, I, I yeah, go on, ahead. on paper it sounds it, it sounds exciting i think that um uh we'll we'll find out when we go there and see see if it's if it's if it's a women's only club you know uh i might get kicked out I mean, well, well you got to let me know because uh, it sounds great. But I, you know, I mean, have you? Where are you? Like, can you talk about where you are uh, pushing yourself the most? Insofar as is it is it uh, is it prac- is it application on the apparatus? Is it being a leader? Is it mentally? What are you trying to get stronger with? And what are you learning about yourself as you uh, become a, a more established leader? Um, that's a good question. I would say that it's constantly rotating and shifting. So there'll be times when I'm, when I'm at home and I'm not, I don't have many performances and sitting there just trying to figure out new ways to get sounds on my guitar, whether it be just purely for the sound sake, or if I'm writing and trying to figure out something that's going to turn me on, uh, uh, harmonically or you know in a melody uh vocally um so i spent you know i spent a lot of time just sitting there with the guitar not even practicing but just trying to like looking at it asking it like what 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 can we do together you know what can we do together because like you said i've been i've been in uh you know pr- with quotes around the around it a professional musician for a little over 20 years you know i started when i was 19 and the Mother Hips was the first band I've ever been in, and you know I'm still in that band. Um, so I've been doing, you know, I've been sitting with my guitar for a long time and asking, you know, we have we have a rapport, and a lot of times it's just sitting there, seeing if there's something new that can happen. There's a lot of peaks and valleys. And I can look at the guitar sometimes and be like, man, I had nothing to offer you, and. I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> and other times, other times, you know, you can't put it down. It saved my life in, in many, in many circumstances where I, I needed something to uh, get me out of some holes. And it's done that. So there's that, there's the performing realm, which is always, you know, I'm always trying to dig deeper there. I would say within the last, I don't know, six, seven years or so, um, I sort of, I made a commitment 
a way, I don't know exactly how far back, but let's just say about six or seven years ago, to if, if someone was going to invite me to sit in or, or do some sort of music, that wasn't, you know, what I was always doing with the, uh, with the mother hips or in, in my solo stuff, that I would take the offer if humanly possible. There was a long time where I, I wasn't taking, if people would offer me to sit in or come here and do this and that, and I was, whether it was, you know, framed as being, you know, too busy or too cool or, you know, it was ultimately probably just my own insecurity um, for wondering if I, you know, might not be able to step up to the challenge. So I made that commitment. And since then, my 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 adaptability and, and musicality and vocabulary with other musicians on stage besides the hips guys has opened up hugely. And it's been really a really great uh, deep deep dive for me. Oh, it's, it's, it's invigorating to hear this, uh, pushing yourself out there. Is, is there a, is there a tangible example when you kind of said, well, I got to hang up my hangups and, and stop t turning these things down. Was there a, a, sort of a demarcation line where you, you know, maybe, you know, you weren't all the way there, but it was one of those things where you not just fit in, but you actually inspired the, the, the audience and the peeps around you to, to give you the, the confidence to continue on the path that you're on now? Well, you know, I don't, I, I'm not thinking of a specific moment that, that I feel like I might be able to think of one, a moment that popped into my head is uh, in accepting an offer to do something is uh, we were, the hips were playing out at the Hive Sierra music festival in uh, Northern California. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big festival that happens around every year around um, the July 4th holiday. And Simon Kurth and Sean Leahy and those guys, they're all California, awesome players, great guitar players, and great guys. And they were putting together an Allman Brothers uh, hour or something in one of the on one of the stages, and they asked me if I'd go do it. And you know, I know the Allman Brothers, but I've never been. Again, that's another thing. It's like playing with other people. A lot of times you're playing covers. The Mother Hips, we were always very insulated. I didn't, we didn't know. We knew a couple Merle Haggard covers, like one Kinks song that was in a rep repertoire, and a couple of Willie Nelson songs. And that's about it. Maybe some Neil Young. Right. And um, Not... I never really learned other people's songs. And so I was intimidated because I knew these guys knew the Almond. They played that there was the Almond Brothers Clan or some, you know, the Almond Brothers. I can't remember with some take on the name. The Almond, the like, Almond Joys. Yeah. yeah, I dig, I dig. Yeah, and and I was, you know, man, I don't, I don't do. I've never played an Almond Brothers song on stage, and it was probably Tim or maybe Paul Hoagland or when he was in the band. It's like you got to go, just go for it. And so I went for it, and I had a blast. And it was, you know, and I did my thing. I didn't try to, I'm not able to, a lot of the guys could sound, they were, they had the licks, you know, they had the Dwayne and Dickie licks down and I just did my thing over it. And, you know, every, I was smiling, everybody was smiling and had a great time doing it. And that was kind of a, it was definitely a moment, at least it's coming to mind now where I, I didn't, I, my instinct was, yeah, screw that. It would have been like, yeah, that's lame anyway. I don't want to play other people's songs. You know, I would have had some right. some story to it or something. And, and instead, it was like, no, just go for it. See what happens, you know. And, and it was killer. It was great. And so those little things like that extended. And, of course, with the opening of uh, Terrapin Crossroads in San Rafael, I live only, you know, 12, 13 miles from there. And um, so over the last three, four years, I've gotten to do a lot of improvisational music with a bunch of great people. So, Can you t uh, so that, that's, yeah. another, that's another way. And, and then, you know, also practicing and, and um, hanging out with people like Scott Tunis and, and Scott Law and, and Jason Crosby, these guys that are sort of on this other, other level where I, I just sit and watch and I learn so much, you know, I learn so much from being around and, and taking in uh, guys that I, I feel that are that are really true masters, you know, that I that I know. Talking to Greg Loyacano here on the Jake Feinberg Show, live on Power Talk. And, um, you know, I'm not sure, I, I've, I've been studying your, your style. Uh, I've done a thousand primary source interviews uh, over the last six years. And 
uh, Danny Korchmar uh, from the uh, the section, among other things. Uh, he told me, you know, he just there's nothing worse than than getting up on the bandstand or seeing somebody get up and just wanking it, and you know, not having you know going off for ten or twelve minutes, uh, and not just repeating phrases and it just wanking it up there. And I wanted you to talk about your evolution as it relates to saying what you need to say. When I watch you on stage with uh, the hips uh, sitting in with Jack, you know, I, I, like I watched this, the organ cat in your band and you literally kind of just like, it was a live performance and you like let him stretch for like three or four minutes to really get his, get off on it. And so is, is less is how have you cultivated your ability to say what you need to say in a short period of time. Hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know if I even have an answer to that. You don't, and that's just, and that is exactly. If we can move on, and if it comes back, I'm just saying. What I'm trying to get. Yeah, at, I just. You're not. You're, you're not. You're, you're not. You're not saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff. And all I can say is that we are living in a time. Uh, at least in this country, uh, and I, you know, I just talked to Larry Klein yesterday, and he went to New York City for a week. A great bass player, and he was just depressed because it, it people are going through very routine based material, and most of it is just demonstrations of facility as opposed to raising the collective consciousness of not just the group on the stand, but also the audience. And I just think that you can riff on that any way you want. But I just know that the communal scene out in San Rafael, I think, is all about lifting the consciousness of the of the group as a whole. And that doesn't happen when somebody's wanking it for 20 minutes. No, no, I I think that. I I try to listen to the music that's happening, you know, the the mother hips for. All intents and purposes, whether we're classified as a jam band or not, we don't. We've never seen ourselves as that. We just see ourselves as if there's a part of music that's outside of the, you know, or within the the song that we've written that we can journey on in some weird way, and that might even not even mean soloing, just making weird rhythms and syncopating stuff or freaking out. <laughs> um, then we'll do it. And if there's not that opportunity, we won't do it. It's not where it. That's not the we're not there to jam we're there to play the songs and i think that my style in in that in that realm of maybe more the improvisational realm the things that i would hope that i'm transmitting is is an interesting journey whether that be you know transcendent or just fun or maybe even scary you know, I had one, I was making noises with the pliers and, a, and a, my echoplex one night and a, a girl was in the front row who I'd known in the past, I hadn't seen in a while. And the, the, the music that had pretty much stopped and I was making very semi-violent sounds on the guitar. <laughs> and it was, very, it was very, you know, we were in it, you know, and the guys were backing me and it was happening. And, and it was quiet enough and she looks at me and she says, Greg, are you okay? Is everything all right with you? Like she was, you know, she had a really emotional reaction after the show. She tried to be like, are you, you know, is, is something wrong with you in your life? I'm like, no, no. I mean, the only thing that's wrong is I'm kind of getting the inquisition from you right now. Right, right. I, really, I want, I want to go outside and, and get some fresh air, you yeah, know? Right. Um, right but right. you know, in that, at that moment, it was like, yes, I got it. <laughs> something happened there where it was effective enough to, you know, I, I'm I'm not interested in, in showing people the, the 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 few chops that I have. I, I like so so if I can take someone on some sort of journey away from or or, or in the the spot doesn't have to be away from it. If I can take them somewhere in in a section of music, whether it be a planned vocal section or an improvisational section, I I feel like that's you know I'm I hope that happens. Uh, and I would say the other thing that if, if someone walked into a room and had some familiarity with who I am as a guitar player and didn't know who was playing and heard me play say, Oh, Greg's here. So that my musical voice is, uh, it shows up as a, a unique quality that, that to me, that that's maybe the most important thing. 
is I, you know, I, 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 that's what I try to achieve in my playing is that I have plenty of guys that I worship and I try to emulate in certain ways. But when I play the notes, I think that I'm, I hope that it comes across as me. And I, I, I think that my, my technical skill and imitation skills aren't good enough anyway for me to fool somebody because when I play it's it's very it's it always comes out sounding as me and I think that's that's actually I'm happy about that um but I would hope that that was those are two things that I would hope for listeners of my music that that would those would be things that stood out what were your I mean again we're talking to a, a mercurial musician here who's been on the bandstand prolifically for my gosh I mean almost since the since 1990 or so um I mean, yeah were you to me i see you playing um you know essentially a lot of rhythm and i'm and you know you're 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 saying what you need to say within that who were some of the i mean were you getting off on uh david t walker or were there jazzers that you i mean i'm just trying to figure out who were you listening to because there were I mean, I've been doing a podcast with this guy, Norm Harris, who has Norman's Rare Guitars in Tarzana, California. It's a monster store down there, and all the cats go there. And we, so far, we've done three podcasts on Little Beaver, uh, Johnny Guitar Watson, and then most recently, Bobby Womack. And if you listen to all three of those guys, they never get a lot of credit, Bobby particularly, for being incredible guitarists. But they were so subtle and so sly and so tasty. Their licks were so tasty. And I sort of feel the same way about you. I mean, you are not out there, you know, you'd prefer just to be cooking the groove and letting everybody else go off soloing. So who did you sort of, was that an innate thing? Or are there cats you can point to that had influence on you where you were like, hmm, they're not playing a lot, but when they play, they're saying a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I, guess I kind of see it that way, but for me, the amount of guitar playing that I, I like to hear is what I probably do, and I feel like I probably do even more than that. Um, I, I, you know, I'm in a mother hip set. I'm soloing all, you know, a lot. In every song, I usually have a solo, and some, some, some are more extended, some are more party, some are written, you know, part e, like written out. Um, so to me, I don't feel like I don't play that much because there's a lot of people who who play that just play way too much. It's, it's uninteresting to me. I don't, I don't, I don't need to hear a guitar. So unless it's, unless it's something, you know, there, Nina Simone solo that I heard the other day, obviously not guitar, but she, it, it went on for a recording on an album. It went on an absurd amount of time. Right. And it, it never got old. It just kept like, Oh my God, what is going to happen next? And so that, you know, that you got to really be happening and saying something, you know, and otherwise, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe the things that I'm saying, you know, I'm, it's more concise or something. There's a ton of guys. I mean, one of my favorite guitar players in, in how they're in their musical voice and the way that they say things and the way that that things get um, the way it's delivered is um, Richard Thompson in, in Fairport Convention, all that stuff there. Hmm. He's not, there's not, you know, five minute solos. I mean, there's, there's some songs that stretch out, but he's, he's playing in between things and and it's all, it's all the subtleties and the way he's playing the stuff, not how long he's playing, you know? um, So I would say he, you know, he's a huge influence. He's been a huge influence for a long time. Um, Always sort of going, going for that. Well, no, it's really, it's it's so funny you brought that up because I, uh, on a whim, I went up to, uh, uh, I got tipped off by Scott Metzger. You know, have you played with Scott before? I haven't. We know each other, you know, informally. Well, you you guys are very, um, yeah, I mean, both intellectual titans. Obviously, you're both playing the apparatus. But he, I asked him about, you know, the unique cats uh, that he gets off on. And one of them he mentioned was uh, Debashish Bhattacharya, who I went up and visited in Phoenix yesterday and did a Facebook Live interview with. He's playing this Hindustani slide guitar. So that was one of Metzger's. Oh, wow. Okay, so this, and he created his own instrument in 1978, which was the year I was born. So 
Uh, you can check that video later. But the other cat he mentioned in our second interview, he said, Richard Thompson has been a big one in the last few years for me. He's a thinking man's guitar hero. It's not blues-based, mm -hmm. and that's such a rare thing to find, an electric guitar guy that's not blues-based. His stuff is based in Stonehenge music, Celtic bagpipes, yeah. and on the electric guitar. So, I mean, you are real. Yeah. I mean, you have, have you, that, that to me speaks to authenticity through originality. Have you always, have you always predicated yourself on wanting to develop your own individual sound? And was there this point where it was like, oh, that's Greg playing? Like when you can just, like, I mean, when did that occur? And has that always been something that has been important to you? Because I, I would argue today that, you know, in melodic improvisation music, some people call that jazz, you really can't tell who's playing. Everything sounds, uh, people, there's so much material out there. There's so much of an ability to copy that everybody winds up signing the, sounding the same. When Rick, Rick Murata, you know, when, said when the drum machine came in, younger cats started to copy a machine. And that's why you really can't tell who the drummers are today in, in, in modern music in some ways. Whereas before, when I interviewed Bill Cosby, you could put a blindfold on him and he could tell you if it was Tony Williams or if it was Pete LaRocca or Mickey Roker. So there, there was this individual list. Everyone wanted to be different. And if they said, well, you sounded just like, they'd want to slit their wrists. How has that yeah. been? I mean, have, is that, have you always prided yourself on that? Or is that something that, because you mentioned before about having your own individual sound where people can say, well, that, 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 that's uh, Loya Cano. Uh, so can you talk about that yeah. evolution? You know, I don't know where how I can try. Yeah, good. I, I think that <laughs> uh, being in a band like the Mother Hips um, with with uh, with Tim and, and the original lineup with Mike Wolfchuck and and Isaac Parsons and Chico, we were we were we were in the we were you know, we were, our practice room, it was like, anything could happen there. And none of us, Isaac was probably the most schooled in music. You know, he'd been in some bands, in jazz bands in college, Dixieland and stuff. You know, Tim had just started playing guitar. I had just started singing. I, I'd done most of my, my guitar uh, information um, by ear. Um, sorry. And, um, it was, uh, you know, it was very experimental. It was coming from what what felt like a very um, unique place. So I think we were all able to develop a voice within each other. Um, that that was unique. I think that's where I think that's where it started for me, being in that band and having that freedom. And when we we didn't care, we, we were there were there were things that we were trying to emulate. The, creati the creation that was coming out seemed very raw and pure to us. And still does when I hear the, the early recordings. How, how is, I mean, do you take, and you have to excuse me because I haven't unfortunately had a chance to see you cats play in any amalgamation, um, but I often wonder, it's, is the concept of there are no wrong notes, does that still pertain to the hips in the sense that someone can start a theme and it might be in a different key or go and but everybody goes there. Does that still go down? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it went down more because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. So to us, there were really no wrong notes. There, was, <laughs> I mean, there wasn't like, Oh, I know, you know, I know my, you know, my scales and what's happening here. And, and, you know, these modes are, you know, moving like this, but you know, we, there were, I mean, literally no no wrong notes for us. We we could make it. You know, I saw Tim make some some melodies work and chord changes work that I was you know, oh my god, that totally that, and it works, you know. And and you, dissecting it later now that I know more about music and music theory, it's like how did that how did that actually happen? It seemed seemed like it was some really in depth plan, you know, um, harmonically and and you know, musically, but it was just hearing, hearing things and mashing them together. Do you feel that, uh, I, you know, I, 
I talked to Graham Lesh uh, a few weeks back, and, uh, you know, like Midnight North is just kind of burgeoning. But, you know, I mean, he's still – they're still negotiating with clubs and when they go on tour for gas money. Um, and I just as, – as a 39-year-old journalist, you know, I just – to me, we're, everything now in our society has to be quantified. It's all data-driven Everything's data-driven now, okay? And music is unquantifiable. There's only two letters that separate magic and music. And I worry a lot about the idea. I mean, I just interviewed Max Weinberg, the drummer, over the weekend, and he just said, you know, he laid it out. He goes, there's just, there's just less places to play, and there's, you know, less of a touring circuit. And quite frankly, uh, what I worry about is just this idea of all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, uh, Greg, you know, your gift to the world is is music, and it's so great that you can give that gift to the world, but that we're moving farther and farther. We were never always there in America, but that we've moved farther and farther away from this concept of a musician being a profession. You got Tower of Power, you got Journey, you got Steve Miller Band going on, you know, million-dollar summer tours to crank out hits from 40 years ago, so they're making great dough. But I'm just talking about the idea of do you feel and how do you run in? How do you deal with peeps uh, outside of, of your of this of the uh, Marin County area when you encounter people that are basically saying, yeah, you can play for the door or uh, where, how much how much of a crowd are you going to bring in or just this idea of trying to quantify the, the music of the mother hips or of of. Uh, Lawyer Cano, how, how do you how do you how do you respond to it? Because I, I think it's important for people to push back on this whole mentality that musicians are musician being a musician is not a profession. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're having a deep hang here. I'm sorry to stretch you out like this, but we're just we're, we're going deep. Yeah, you know, I if you're gonna be in a band. And, and tour, you have to make money. And unless you have other sources of, of money, you're, you're independently wealthy, which happens a lot, you know, um, at least in my, you know, being being around for 20 years, seeing seen that. Man, how, this guy's got that nice band, and they're still on the road. They don't bring, you know, draw anybody in. Um, I don't know if I'm actually going to answer your question. No, no, I want you, there's no, wrong, there's no, going, there's no wrong going, answers. To, there's I'm no wrong to, answers. But, but, you know, it, there's people, you know, I hear people talk about music as a career and sometimes that's cringy, but it's also realistic. Like you have to, if you're going to do it, you have to, you have to, it has to roll on, on itself. It has to support itself. If, you, if it doesn't, then you can't do it. And clubs need to, the same thing goes with clubs. Clubs need to pay you what they can, what you're worth. You know, so if you go in and you're, you, you, you sell 50 tickets and they gave you a guarantee that's a lot more than that, they're not going to have you back next time. And I mean, that's all, you know, business and all that crap, but that's, that's what it is. I mean, you can play music for free. You're welcome to do that, you know. How uh, how have the how have the, how have the hip how have the hips been able to um, because I mean without really I mean you're we don't the record industry is not any it's not even an industry anymore so how have you guys I mean is it just through blood sweat and tears and actually inspiring yep. so, yeah yep we we were on we were on uh, Rick Rubin's American recording we got signed early on with that we we toured our asses off. During that phase, um, we were doing over 200 shows a year with them, and they gave us a little bit of tour support. We made a lot of fans across the country. And when when that label folded and we were off that label, we continued the touring schedule, just toured our butts off, put our own records out. We've worked with uh, independent labels before. We're working with a, a label, an awesome label right now, and that just started. Um, and we've done a lot of work on our own, putting out records on our own, and keeping our web stores filled and trying to print t-shirts to sell on the road. It's like, we, you know, you just, you just do it. You try to, and, and we we're fortunate. We have a lot of places where we can go and people will show up 
and they want to support the music and we can we can come home and we're not losing money we're not always making it but we're not losing it, you know? so the how do you, this this may seem self-explanatory but for yourself <clears throat> what i love the most about the old school before entourages came in and handlers i mean the cats were in restaurants uh, you could uh, not necessarily sit down and hang with them, but they were accessible. Um, how do you make yourself accessible to the fans outside of just playing a concert and, and blowing their minds? But beyond that, how do you make yourself accessible to them so that they get to know you as a human being? Oh, well, I mean, I would say the whole, all Tim and I, but everybody that's been in the band, certainly John Hofer, the drummer, is one of the most friendly people you ever, ever going to meet. Um, you know, we, we go to mer the merch table or not even the merch. Sometimes we do that, but even just hanging out outside, seeing people, um, I mean, in the last few years, there's been a, a, a rafting trip that I've gone on and fans can be on the rafting trip. You get to hang out with people that have been fans of your music or they're just finding out about your music. You get to talk, um, you know, the, the Hipnic, which is a, a festival we've been doing that we're going to enter in to our 10th year of it. And it's a very intimate festival. You get to talk with a lot of the fans there. You know, we've always made ourselves accessible, not on purpose. Like, oh, we're going to be accessible. So, but we, <laughs> yeah, right. No, sometimes, there's not... <laughs> room, sometimes there's not a, there, literally there's not a dressing room. So you're just, you know, you're in the bathroom. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? You know, let me just, Finished taking a piss. What kind of guitar? What year's that telly at? Let me just wash my hands. I love you know? it. You're not making up T-shirts saying we're, we, we want to be accessible. You know, we, uh, talk is cheap here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Let's, let's put in a piece of music <laughs> here, and, uh, and then we can uh, come back and break it down, okay? Okay. Music on the Jake Feinberg Show brought to you by the Jewish Community Center of Southern Arizona, the Jewish Federation of Southern Arizona, Abbott Taylor Jewelers, R. Zach Wagner Jewelry, and Craig Pretzinger of Allstate Insurance. And we appreciate their support so we can play uh, tunes like that. Uh, a little Falcon Fuzz for, for Greg Laicano. Uh, can you talk about... Um, that was with Jackie Green, I believe, but uh, can you... Can you just talk, is this, a, is this the first band, were you in a band before where you had multiple part harmonies going on with original tunes, or was the Hips the first one that really, that where you started with these multiple part harmonies? No, and yeah, Jackie Green is not on that recording. Um, um, and Mother Hips was the first band I was ever in. I was in Garage, you know, playing in the garage with my buddy Jason Hildebrand, and smoking lots of weed and, and trying to figure out, you know, Jimi Hendrix songs, Black Sabbath. And, right, right. And, uh, but no, that was, this was the first band I was ever in. And as I said earlier, when I met Tim, Tim had just started playing guitar. I was teaching him how to play guitar in the dorm hallways, and he was teaching me how to sing harmony. I never really sung outside of, you know, my bedroom or the shower. How did, could you talk about how you guys started to blend those harmonies and how you've actually what you talked about before about making up that instrument and I, I forgive me i can't remember the 
the tools you were using, but that girl was uh, asking if you were actually mentally okay. Uh, can you just talk about oh, yeah. how you've how this how Sonic ex how you guys have sonically expanded the mother hips? I mean, I think that that when Herbie brought in Dr. Patrick Gleason in the early '70s with the the earliest synthesizers. You know, Herbie had yet to master the synthesizer, but he wanted to create sonic expansion. And I think that that's the goal of any group uh, is to continually create sonic expansion. So how have you guys done that more and specifically with your uh, with your multiple part harmonies and or instrumental breakdown? Um, well. I'd say as, as far as what, what, I'll, what I'll say about the vocal. Um, there are no wrong answers. I, 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 what I'll say about the vocals progression is it started, you know, with, with Tim singing. And then he told me, you know, try, try to sing this harmony, which I didn't even really, I'd never done. And we were out, outside, you know, somewhere outside of the dorms walking around at night. And as soon as we started doing that, there was a, a blend immediately. And it was kind of addicting in a way where it was just, okay, I want more of that. Let's mm. do more of that. Mm. And he was like, and, and his voice is, is lower and a little more grainy. Mine's, mine takes on a higher register and is a little clearer. And that blend has always been a very unique uh, sonic uh, importance of the, of the Mother Hips band. And that just developed with us becoming better singers and 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 being better musicians and creating uh, more interesting uh, backing vocals. Usually, it's just he and I doing the stuff. Um, when Paul was in the band, he would definitely be a huge part of that. Um, but you know, all the oohs and ahs and and interesting, uh, like on White Falcon's Fuzz, there's some some nice background. Uh, vocals besides the duet style harmony which we do a lot then in the back of that there'll be other harmonies and then sing, just singing with other people again with paul john a friend of ours from college john biddle um doing three-part harmonies with with people we love to sing with has always been um a special part of the of the musicality for both tim and i, I think i can speak for tim in that in that scenario um no this is and again this is, yeah go ahead go ahead again and with as far as guitars again like tim and i we were you know we're, we're coming up in 91 the band started in 91 you know 92 and then all of a sudden nirvana and the grunge and everybody's got big marshall amps and these big sounds and we're playing through tiny fenders <laughs> and um or you know tim had the twin i, I actually had a, a solid state marshall for a while with my tiny super champ fender um little amps and we would just have these fucked up guitar tones which we wanted we wanted guitar tones that were that were clean but sketchy you know and we didn't even have we didn't have any pedals i had the only pedal i had for years and years and years was a morley fuzz wah it was a it was and it was a volume pedal so it was a it was a wah pedal it had a fuzz button that was so fucked up and but i would use it it would just it would just flap everything out completely wow. and then and it had a volume pedal so i could i learned how to do sort of volume swell stuff and interesting things like that but that was it and i think tim tim didn't have anything he just had his vibrato and reverb from the amp and um you know after I remember playing the berkeley square in uh, early on 92 one of our first out of town gigs and our friend mark sunday was there and we we had been on stage looking at each other for about two minutes trying to tune and it was just one of those things like it wasn't going to happen <laughs> and mark was mark sunday it was our roadie that night he was helping us out you know he's just a good friend of, of ours that is also he's an, an amazing writer um and actively working these days um in the next morning he comes up to us or the next was a morning for us was about noon or 1 p.m there and he came to wherever we were staying we were probably crashing at someone's house and he'd been out and and he came back in his truck with two tuners he said 
you can actually have tuners on stage, guys. You know, that. you can <laughs> plug them in and tune your guitars instead of being so baked and I sitting love... there for two minutes and having audience going, going you know, so, whoa, now we've got tuners. I've got a wah pedal and a tuner. That was, those were our pedals for years, for 12 years. I mean, we didn't, Tim's got a pedal board that's bigger than my front seat of my car now, you know, and he's, you know, he didn't want, you know, he literally didn't have any pedals up until about five years ago, six years ago. Um, so it's always been very much the, 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 the that sonic landscape, those two guitars, the interplay. If you, I don't know how much you've listened to the music, um, but, the, you know, John Hofer, who's our drummer, before he was our drummer, he was playing in a band called the Freewheelers, and they were opening for, they were also on American recordings, and they were opening for the Mother Hips, and we had done a, a couple-week tour, and he would watch us every night, he loved us, and he would say that our guitar interplay reminded him of television. He's like, have you guys ever heard television? Yes, we have. And he really, he, he liked, he was always a huge fan of the interplay between the two guitars, which that's also besides the harmonies has always been a big part of the band. The other thing, and I, it's yeah, continued. no, I mean, oh. it's, it's phenomenal because um, you guys are really street scholars in the highest sense. And I, I, um, how, how cognizant of you, I mean, again, you sort of, you know, like you just told that story about, you know, realizing that you could have tuners on stage and, and uh, I mean, how, cognizant are you of the fact when did you how how much have you cultivated dynamics because so many things so many times i go to shows today and the cats have the volume turned up to 10 and it stays at 10 and it never goes down and it never starts down and it go up and you know you listen to the greatest uh melodic music and there's just dynamics everywhere and so, you know, you listen to pop singers now. I've interviewed all the great engineers. And, I mean, in pop singing today, there are no dynamics, period, period. And so I just wonder yep. about how, when did that begin to take hold? Was it one of these sort That's of... Always, that was organic. Um, that's just what we did. The band was so in tune with, with each other. We were just constantly breathing together. And, um, and when we got into recording studios with, you know, again, quotes around professionals that, right. were, that were analyzing our music and going, how are we going to record this? We would hear that all the time. God, your dynamics are fantastic. <laughs> like, oh, what? What do you mean? I love it. You know? I love it. And we, we didn't, we didn't, you know, we're like, okay. And then we'd hear it, we're, you know, like, oh, yeah. You know, and you hear a recording. And it's like, yeah, of course they are. Like, that's just what you do when, when the music needs to get loud, you get loud. And when it needs to get quiet, you get quiet. And to us, it was just a very natural thing. It's part of the, 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 the communication of music, just like, you know, in, in expressing when yourself when you're speaking with someone. So. Uh, did you, have you had a chance to uh, collaborate with, the, uh, with Neil Casal? Have I had a chance to collaborate with him? Or just, uh, you know, have a chance to, you know, at Terrapin Crossroads. I mean, I noticed we had mutual, you know, Neil was another guy who, um, I mean, to me was sort of just sort of, you know, um, walking through his career, uh, not necessarily even recognizing his abilities as a singer, as a player uh, with Ryan Adams and things like that. But then he eventually joined Chris Robinson Brotherhood and has done a, quite a bit of stuff. But I feel like you guys might, you know, I mean, the, it's the organic process. And I just wonder if you've had a chance to even cross paths with him. And if so, what what have you? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we've, we've crossed paths many times over the years and we're friends and he's a, he's a great guy. Um, and we've gotten to play, I think, once or twice together. And it, I think is a, probably a Terrapin. That, that's about it. I'd love to play more with him. I, I enjoy his everything about his playing. His sing, he's a great singer um, and a very friendly guy. Um, but I think one early on, it was you know the, in the bar at Terrapin and wasn't even didn't even have a stage yet. It was um, and we we were both invited down at the same. He was in town and 
I lived close by and we got to, we did one or two nights together and that was, that was really fun. That was a year, that was at least four years ago. Wow. So it was, I mean, but, well, who was, what was it? It was the hips with him or was it just duo you and him? No, 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 it was me and him. And I think Graham was there and I don't remember who else was playing. Maybe Mike Pascal, a couple other, the young, younger, you know, Terrapin uh, guys that are there in the bar all the time or, or were, you know, it's kind of changed over the years, but, um, you know, it was just the, the Terrapin, the Terrapin all-stars or whatever the, the family band. The, yeah, no, I dig. I dig. But, I, have you, yeah. have you, uh, do you find these days in your travels uh, outside of Austin and, uh, you know, New Orleans and, and San Rafael, what flyover towns are cultivating are the, you know, the, 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 the urban centers in this country used to be the, the, the manufacturers of, of music. I mean, in terms of uh, just where it was happening and Los Angeles basically has, you know, like one jazz club left, um, you know, New York, I mean, the big cities in my mind, are not the places where musical vocabulary is going to grow and where the, the vibe is going to is going to grow. And I'm wondering through your travels, what flyover towns you see as hotbeds of musical activity now in our fully interconnected society. Hmm. I don't have a good answer for that. I um, we you know we. I mean, you have you ever wound? Did, last, did you ever? Last, yeah. Could you in, go, the, in the last year and a half. We haven't done a whole lot of traveling. Um, uh, Tim Tim injured his foot, so we've been um, kind of in a, in a weird holding pattern. And the the traveling that I've done with my solo band has been mainly is, is West Coast stuff. Um, so I don't really have an answer for that. Um, I, I I don't. We, we come in and out of places, even if I even if we had been to more places in the last couple of years, I might not even know because we, you know we. A lot of times we fly in and we fly out, so I don't have a full grip on that. Interesting. Um, tell me a little bit. So, I mean, you guys have been in a holding pattern. Is that are you guys going to uh, take off before the end of the year? Is that the what? What, what are your what are your? Yeah, plans? yeah. We have our um, we're, our first shows of the year are going to be at the end of the year, which are the um, Great American Music Hall shows we do. Um, we've been doing for over twenty years, maybe twenty. 23 years now wow. um holiday shows we do two nights there or two or three nights and then we've added a matinee on sunday at slim so we're coming back and doing those shows and that's going to be um uh that'll be really exciting that'll be and that'll be the first time the last time we played was on new year's um as a full band you know tim we had we, we did the hypnic we did a couple other things that we had booked and and needed to show up for the commitments and we did you know without tim so it wasn't the mother hips it was uh you know one one we did was called the other hips no it wasn't the other hips it was uh <laughs> sorry it was the uh that's that was one we were had been talked about the hip replacement that, ah, was, that was one very we did, creative. We did a you show guys were unbelievable we, man we we did so uh, the, the, what we did is we played mother hips and replacement songs um, that was John Hofer, the drummer's uh, idea. He's a Midwestern boy and a huge replacements fan. We all like him, but he's, he, it was his idea. He was like, well, man. So we uh, we got Bob Reed and Johnny Irian and a bunch of other friends, and we had a night of playing hip songs and a bunch of cool replacement songs. It was really fun. Do you, do you just, uh, I mean, for this gig, uh, what what is your, what does the R word mean to, the mother hips rehearsal. What, what, what is that? I mean, like a lot of Garcia used to know and didn't like that. The R word. And I, I find that, um, that you guys being so sort of unorthodox in your, in your trip that I don't know what, what, what is, I mean, are you going to do any rehearsing before these gigs? Oh, well, no, we'll do a ton of rehearsing before these gigs. We haven't played at all. Um, we have to, we're going to do a lot. I mean, it's been a long time. Um, just because you got to, uh, just, just it, because it, you're, you're going to introduce new, new material or because you want to just get those other songs. Well, we, just have, we, just, we just have to play. We haven't played the songs. We need to, any, whatever we're going to play, whether it be new material or old material, we have to 
songs. You have to remember how they go. You know, I've been I've been I've been playing my own songs and learning other songs and doing a lot of other things. And we'll you know we'll definitely have to powwow uh, several times over the years when we were touring all you know from from ninety three ninety four to to you know ninety nine two thousand. We we probably rehearsed three times. You know, right? That's you, about it. Yeah, you just get. I mean, and, uh, you, you work but, it out. But, you, yeah. But more recently, where we've been, like the holiday shows last year, we did uh, the ultimate set. We have a couple years we've done this ultimate set list. We have fans um, send in set lists, and then they get sort of randomly picked, um, and we learn a set list, and they'll have a but. And it's songs that we've played in our past, so it might be a bunch of songs that we hadn't played in a long time. Some old covers that we did. Um, and so, you know, there's, or, or we'll last year, uh, or a year and a half ago down in LA at the Troubadour, we decided to play an album. So we played, um, Let It Bleed, the Stones album. Sure. And it was just, we told people, we told people that it would be, we'd be covering a classic album, but we didn't tell them which one it would be. We had to, obviously had to practice for that, you know? So there's more things in trying to keep keep the uh the fan base that's already there you know keeping the shows interesting whether it be learning uh new material of ours or some new cover songs or some uh, an album or you know learning one of our albums you know we've done several of our albums and played them and i'm like wow there's two or three songs on here we never played by it oh okay we better learn them (laughs) um so yeah um so just do me a favor uh uh, we've been cooking here for almost an hour. How uh, about having a ball? I, I, yeah, I gotta. No, I just, I just want to say that uh, I, I hope to get out maybe f- to uh, to catch you guys live. I mean, unless you're planning on coming to Zona next year, maybe I'll swing out for those shows. But um, please let me know about that uh, women's club. Uh, I'd love to hear about that experience with your band. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Uh, yep. Yeah, great hang, man. It's great, great, great to hang with you, brother. Yeah. Thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road. Absolutely, man. Take care, Greg. All right. Later on. Bye-bye.